0: It's great to see you all here this morning. Good morning and welcome. Uh, I know we've got a lot of folks here in the room, and I think we've got some people watching online as well. So good morning to you as well. Excuse me as well. My name's Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Connect. And uh, if it's your very first time, welcome. We hope that you'll visit again and again. We hope you enjoy the service this morning. Um, In his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey tells a story he came across in a Navy publication. Some of you may have heard this story before. Two battleships assigned to the training squadron had been at sea on maneuvers in heavy weather for several days. I was serving on the lead battleship and was on watch on the bridge as night fell. The visibility was poor with patchy fog, so the captain remained on the bridge, keeping an eye on all activities." Shortly after dark, the Lookout on the wing of the bridge reported light bearing on the starboard bow. Is it steady or moving astern? The captain called out. Lookout replied, Steady, Captain, which meant we were on a dangerous collision course with that ship. The captain then called to the signal man, Signal that ship. We are on a collision course. Advise you change course 20 degrees. Back came a signal, advisable for you to change course 20 degrees. And the captain said, send this, I'm a captain, change course 20 degrees. The response, I'm a seaman, second class, you'd better change course 20 degrees. By this time, the captain was furious. He spat out, send, I'm a battleship change course 20 degrees back came the response I'm a lighthouse (laughs) we changed course (laughs) you know in the midst of darkness a light can break through and warn you of danger In the midst of darkness, a a light can drive away fear. When you're lost in the dark, not knowing where to go, sometimes it can be a light that leads you to safety. And one day, Jesus announced to a crowd that he was a light. In fact, he said, I am the light of the world. We're actually talking here at Connect, if you're visiting for the first time this morning, we're talking here about some I am phrases that Jesus used. There were seven of them that John, one of the writers of the uh, life of Jesus, wrote down. He wrote these seven statements that Jesus said, all that started out with the phrase, I am. Last week, we learned that Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And along with that, we discovered what he meant when he announced himself as the bread of life. This morning, we're going to look at the fact that he said, I am the light of the world. What on earth could he have meant by saying something like that? We're going to find out today. You see, John, there was Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all wrote individual accounts of the life of Jesus from their perspective. When John wrote his from his perspective, it was from a man who'd walked with Jesus Who'd heard him tell the stories that he told, who'd seen him perform the miracles he performed, who decided, I want what I've seen and heard with my own eyes and my own ears to be told for generations to come. I want people to know what I saw. I'm hoping that people will believe that Jesus is who he said he was based on my testimony. So I want to make sure that there are some key things that people know from my my recollection of what Jesus said. And seven of those things are these I am phrases. So let's look at the I am the light of the world phrase this morning. John chapter 8 verses 1 through 2. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. Now, immediately following this, right as he's starting to teach this crowd, the religious rulers, the leaders, the Pharisees, they dragged this woman into the temple court. They said, Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. As you know, that is a sin and it is punishable by death. Because of what she was doing, we have the right now to kill her, to stone her to death. What do you think we should do? Because Jesus has been talking about mercy and grace and forgiveness, and they were trying to trap him. Because they knew that he believed in justice and mercy, or they, believed, they knew he believed in mercy and, ju- and forgiveness, but they also knew he, he followed the law and he believed in justice. So they thought they had him trapped. They're like, Jesus, what do you think we should do? He said, well, you're right. She deserves to die. The law states it. So here's what we'll do will stone her to death and that the first person to throw the stone, the very first stone, should be thrown by somebody who's never done anything wrong themselves. And he kind of steps back. And we read that the crowd, one by one, set their stones on the ground, realizing that none of them were really worthy to do this because every one of them had done something wrong. Finally, the only person left was this lady. He said, where are your accusers? She said, they all seem to have disappeared. He goes, then I don't accuse you either. Now go and sin no more. Go and live differently. Learn from this. So this has just taken place. So these these religious leaders, they're already mad. Because they thought they'd trapped Jesus. And he kind of turned the tables and made them look foolish. So now they're mad. And then immediately following that, um, they're probably still there. They're still listening, these Pharisees, these religious leaders. This happens. This happens. Jesus spoke in verse 12 to the people once more, and he said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. The Pharisees replied, You are making those claims about yourself. Such testimony is not valid. And if you were to read on in, in this chapter, you'd see that the Pharisees continue to argue and, and fight and debate with Jesus because they're so angry with him. Not just at what happened with this lady who was brought in, but also with the fact that Jesus is now claiming to be the light of the world. So why would it be, why would it be that these religious leaders would be so upset with a man who simply said something like, I am the light of the world? Well, there's a couple of very unique things that are at play here when Jesus says this. The first is that you need to understand when Jesus said it. The reason he was there is because they had just finished a week-long celebration, a Jewish holiday called the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles. This happened every year, and it was a huge, huge event. I mean, it was like July 4th all week long. It was a huge celebration for the people of Israel. This was the time when they would they would look back in history and remember how God had been with them as a people when they were rescued from slavery in Egypt as they wandered through the wilderness for 40 years before finally finding themselves in their permanent home there in Israel. And for that entire period of time for 40 years God was with them. He provided food, and he provided water, and he guided them on their journey. He even provided shelter because they had the means with them to build these tents, these shelters. So being kind of a nomadic tribe, they never built a permanent home, but they would stop all along the way, and they would build these shelters because of the the scorching heat of the desert sun. And they would live in these shelters. So hundreds of years later, every year, they would celebrate what was called the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Shelters, and they would build shelters all around the city to remember that God was with them. But not just that, in the temple itself, in the courtyard of the temple, part of the Feast of Tabernacles was they would raise these 75-foot poles all around the temple courtyard, and at the top would be this huge lantern that they would light. So at nighttime, the temple just glowed, the light from the temple shone all around which well, you have to realize, you know, we're talking about a city that 2,000 years ago, there was no electricity, no streetlights. So when night fell, other than maybe some candles in the windows, this would have been a very dark place. Except for the week of the Feast of Tabernacles, when the light from the temple just shone so brightly. And during this week, there would be meals, there'd be dancing, there'd be celebrating, there'd be drinking. This was just a huge celebration all week long. So this, this light at nighttime was just part of the whole celebration. And the temple, the, the feast has just come to an end. They've just extinguished the flames for the last time. If any of you have been to Disney World, you'll know that there's a, a time during the day, about eight o'clock in the evening, when crowds start to gather there in front of the castle. And that whole Main Street area, it just really starts to get bigger and bigger and more and more crowded. And the reason is because people know that around about 8.15, 8.30, the fireworks begin. The lights around the uh, Magic Kingdom, they dim. And then the lights on the Magic Castle, they light up and fireworks go off. And there's video and lights and lasers. And for about 15 minutes, everyone's ooh and eye and all the most beautiful things and the music. And it goes all the way to the end when Tinkerbell slides down out of the castle on a zip line. Spoiler alert, sorry if you're not being there. <laughs> Tinkerbell shows up at the end. Um, but right after Tinkerbell, everything comes to an end. And you kind of sense this kind of lull of like, oh, that's it, it's over. And then people are kind of moving out of the park, they're making their way, and you've got 11 million people trying to get onto one monorail, and it's just, it's a real kind of negative like downer after this great lights-up festival. And that's kind of how things must have felt in Jerusalem at the time. These lights that have been shining brightly all week have just gone out. And in the midst of that kind of down mood, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. you know how you felt last week when that light was shining and you were excited and you were celebrating? I am that light. I can give you that feeling. I've come to bring you that for every part of your life. I'm the light of the world. And the religious leaders, they were like, you're likening yourself to that light? And not just that, we know what you're doing here. We know what you're saying. When you say you are the light of the world, you are lining yourself up with God. Because we understand that God is the light. When we think about light, we think about God. Because throughout Scripture and in this culture, God was light. Right the way back to creation in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. In the beginning, there was nothing, emptiness, a void. And the very first thing God creates is light. All the way through to the end of the Bible. If you get got a revelation, there's that's a, a, a book written by this same guy, John, um, talking of things to come in the future, the future even beyond us. He talks of a day in the future, Revelation 21, where he says, I did not see a temple in the city. Because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. Throughout, from the beginning to the end of the Bible, God is thought of as light. And now along comes Jesus and says, I am the light. Essentially, he's saying, I am God in the flesh. I am the son of God. You see, John wanted to put these phrases in his letter. It was very important to him because he believed this to be true. He believed that Jesus was who he claimed to be, the son of God. And he wanted everyone to understand this was a really important part of the mission of God. And I love it because John would have written this years later, years later, towards the end of his life. And he's looking back on on those times and he probably remembers what it was like when Jesus said the things he said. He probably remembers how angry everyone got. I wonder if he thought, man, this guy's either crazy or he is who he's claiming to be. But now John's writing it from a time where he's seen Jesus die. Where he remembered what it was like to think, was I following the wrong person? It seems we failed. And then three days later, he, he comes back from death. He rises again. He spends time with his disciples. John got to see him again in the flesh. John got to see him ascend into heaven. John got to see the Holy Spirit come down that we read about in the book of Acts. All of this has happened and then John writes his letter because he wants people to know what he knew to be so true that Jesus was who he said he was. He's so determines to make sure that the readers of his letter understand this. He actually starts out his letter in John chapter 1, really joining together this idea that God is light and that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the light. Listen to how he starts out his letter in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So who is this word that John is speaking about? He tells us in verse 14, the word became human and made his home among us. And I'm going to tell you now in the rest of my letter who the word is. It's Jesus. Jesus. He was the light, in him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. He is the light that shines in the darkness. So why do you think then that when Jesus presents himself as the light of the world, why choose that phrase? Why choose the light of the world? I think it's because Jesus was aware that there were some attributes of light that he wanted people to understand. I want you to learn who God is, who God can be in your life. And and there are some attributes of light that will help you understand some characteristics of who God is, who I am. I was thinking about it this week. You know, what are those attributes of Jesus that we can relate to today? The first is that light shows the way. One of the great things about light is that light shows the way. When we're lost in the darkness, we pull our phones out, we push on that button, Our flashlight comes on, and and light shows us the way to go. And Jesus said, in the same way, I am the light, showing the way. There's a great clip in the movie Apollo 13 that really kind of illustrates well, I think, what the idea is of Jesus being the light that shows us the way. Check this out.
1: Apollo 13 commander Jim Rubble has more time in space, almost 24 days already, than any other man. And I asked him recently if he ever was scared. Oh, well, I've had an engine flame out a few times in an aircraft and was kind of curious as to whether it was going to light up again, things of that nature, but uh, they seem to work out. Is there a specific instance in an airplane emergency when you can recall fear? Uh, Well, I tell you, I remember this one time, I'm, uh, I'm in a banshee at night in combat condition, so there's no running lights on the carrier. Uh, it was a Shangri-La, and we were in the Sea of Japan, and my, my radar had jammed, and my homing signal was gone because somebody in Japan was actually using the same frequency, and so it was, it was leading me away from where I was supposed to be. And I'm looking down at a big black ocean, so uh, I flip on my map light, and then suddenly, zap, everything shorts out right there in my cockpit. All my instruments are gone, my lights are gone, and I can't even tell now what my altitude is. Uh, I know I'm running out of fuel, so I'm thinking about uh, about ditching in the ocean. And I, I look down there, and then in, in the darkness, there's this, uh, there's this green trail. It's like a long, carpet that's just laid out right beneath me. And it was the algae, right? It was that phosphorescent stuff that gets churned up in the wake of a big ship. And it was, it was, it was just leading me home. And now, if my cockpit lights hadn't shorted out, there's no way I'd have ever been able to see that. So. Uh... You, uh, you never know what, what events are going to transpire to get you home.
0: I love that idea that in the midst of the challenge, you know, the lights have all gone off in the cockpit of his plane and it looks like things are getting worse and worse, but had they not gone off, he wouldn't have seen the light of the algae behind that ship that led him home. And I love that idea because I believe that that's who Jesus is for us. He's leading us. He is the light pointing us in the direction, leading us home. Because I believe a relationship with Father God is home. It's where we were meant to be. It's our purpose in life, to find our way into a relationship with Father God. Jesus actually told a story one time. Uh, It was a parable, and it was called the, the story of the lost son, or the story of the prodigal son, and it's a great story because it talks about this, this son who left his father's home and went away and, and lived a life and, and realized after a while that his life back home was better than the one he was trying to pursue. And, and he, he returns home embarrassed, embarrassed that he'd left his father, embarrassed that he'd lost all of his money. And, and the wonderful thing about the story is that Jesus says while he was still a long way off, the father ran out to meet him because the father never gave up on the son. He always wanted the son to come home. He wasn't looking to tell the son off and say, you foolish son, I told you not to do this. This is all your own fault. You're in so much trouble. It says that this father, full of love and compassion, just every day was waiting for his son to come home. And maybe you're here this morning. You've yet to discover a relationship with Jesus. I wanna tell you that that same father that Jesus talks about, that father God, has that same love and compassion for you. He just wants you to find your way home into a relationship with him. And Jesus is the light pointing the way. Jesus is the light showing us the way home. I love what the scripture talks about because for those of us who are followers of Jesus, he's the light to show us the direction in which our lives should go. As we read about his life and as we read about his teachings, they they become like a light showing us the way we should live our lives. And I'm going to be honest with you here this morning, I wish that it showed us everything, like for the next 20 years. Shine the light, Jesus, so I knew exactly what to expect for the rest of my life. Have you ever driven down by the river and those big barges are coming slowly along at nighttime and and you see they've got that massive light on the front, it's kind of moving around, it just lights up the whole river for what seems like miles, just looking out for any dangers in the river. I'm like, God, I want that. I want your light to shine like that in my life. But I feel like if that was the case, we wouldn't need faith, we wouldn't need to trust God. God. So instead, we get this promise in Psalm 119, 105. Your word, he's talking about scripture, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. What I imagine, what I picture when I read that verse is that as we follow Jesus, as we follow his teachings, as we read the Bible, as we read scripture and try to apply it into our lives, it's almost like a flashlight that is a word, it's a a lamp for our feet, a light for our path. It's almost like it just gives us just enough to get the next couple of steps. And I love that because it's a promise from God that he'll be with us every step of the way. But it's a challenge because some of us are like, well, okay, that's good that you're gonna get me to here, but what about over there? What about next year? What about the future? And I think God says, just trust me. Trust me with each day. I'll give you enough light for each day. And if you'll trust me and move forward, I'll give you enough light for the next day as well. Jesus is the light of the world. He's the light that shows the way. There's another attribute of light that I think lines up well with, with who Jesus is. That is that light reveals what's in the darkness. Light reveals what's in the darkness. Now, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. If you ever woken up in the middle of the night, and uh, if you're like me, and you know, if you've just woken up to use the restroom, you, you don't wanna turn the lights on. You pretty much know your way to the bathroom, you know, as long as you didn't leave too many obstacles or clothes on the floor, you're going to be okay. But the good thing is that when you wake up at nighttime, your eyes have adjusted so you can kind of see in the darkness enough to at least avoid the, the bathroom sink, to at least avoid some of the hazards on the way to the bathroom and back. But sometimes you wake up in the middle of the night, don't you? And, um, You want to get a glass of water or maybe you need to take some tums or let the dog out or whatever it may be. And you realize, I'm going to have to turn the light on for this. I can't do this without turning the light on. And what's terrible is as soon as you turn the light on, it's great because it reveals everything. But then the second you turn it off, you can see nothing. (laughs) Because your eyes have adjusted now to the light. And now it's just pitch black. You can't see anything. Little tip for you, I read this in a book once, I was reading a book, uh, an English book, a guy who used to be in the SAS, and uh, he wrote this book, Special Forces in England, and he talked about a trick they learned where if they were at nighttime and they were going into a room that the light was gonna come on, they always closed one eye, and then when they went back into the darkness, they would switch eyes, so one eye never adjusted to the light. I've been doing that ever since, brilliant. I get through the house at night, I'm like a SAS warrior, working my way through the bedroom. (laughs) The thing is, sometimes it's good when you turn on the lights and it reveals the darkness because it helps you avoid hazards. But you know, when I think about it as a follower of Jesus, and maybe you're here this morning and you've yet to make a decision to follow Jesus, this is one of the challenges because sometimes when we think of Jesus as being the light and it reveals the darkness, there are some things that we've intentionally kept in the darkness, Some habits, some behaviors, some attitudes, some thoughts, whatever they may be, and and not everyone knows this about us. They're, They're kind of in the darkness, and suddenly we step into the light, and Jesus is the light, and it exposes the darkness. And we're like, we don't want you to see that, Jesus. We don't want you to see the stuff that's in the darkness. Because throughout the Bible, the metaphor of light and darkness is very clear. In John 3, 19, it says, The judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. So throughout Scripture, we've got this this, this picture, this metaphor, that there are things of darkness, evil, bad things, and and then there's the light, and it's this constant battle between darkness and light. And we're very aware in our broken, sinful lives that that battle goes on inside of us. That there's the light that, that shines, that wants to do right, but there's also the, the darkness, the, the, the things in the life where we know, man, I just wish I wouldn't do that, but I keep finding myself messing up in that area or doing this. And light reveals what's in the darkness. And it can be a, a scary thing sometimes for a follower of Jesus. Jesus, I'm not sure I want you to reveal what's in the darkness. If you've watched that show CSI, there's always that scene, isn't there, where, a, uh, you know, a crime is being committed in a room and they come in and you don't know. You know, you're looking at the room and it's like, well, we don't know what happened here. And the guy comes in he's like, leave it to me. And they turn the lights off and he opens his bag and he gets out this special light and he turns it on. And suddenly you see stuff that you never saw before. I mean, there's like blood spatters on the wall. And this light has the ability to light up all these things that you can't see before. And I always watch CSI and I think, man... I just, that'd be cool to have one of those lights, but I really wouldn't want to have one of those lights. Can you imagine, you just, you'd never eat in a restaurant again, you'd never sleep in a hotel room, you'd never go to a movie theater. If you turn those lights on and saw, you know, if it shows you all the dirt or whatever else. So, but I feel like sometimes we have this vision that that's who God is, that if we get too close to God, this light's gonna shine and, and we're gonna, it's gonna reveal this stuff. But I had this thought as I was thinking about it this week. I think it's important for us to understand who the light is in this instance, to understand the character of God, who Jesus is. Because imagine this light's like a flashlight. The flashlight could be the same. It's it's who's holding the flashlight that makes the difference. Let me give an example. Imagine the flashlights, or imagine a flashlight in the hand of a policeman, shining into a, a store at night where a silent alarm has gone off, looking through the windows in the hopes of catching someone in the act of doing something wrong, catching a criminal. That's the purpose of that flashlight. Now imagine that same flashlight in the hands of a rescue worker. A tragedy has struck a community and there are some buildings without power and there might be somebody trapped in the darkness. Now the rescue worker with that same flashlight is shining it into the building as a form of rescue to maybe help someone who is trapped in this building, cannot find their way out, cannot see what dangers lie ahead of them. And the rescue worker's flashlight helps shine and reveal in the darkness the safe exit from that building. The same flashlight in two different hands can be viewed very differently. They're both shining into the darkness, but one is to catch and condemn. The other is to rescue and to lead away from danger. I think it's important that we understand this morning that when you follow Jesus, his light will shine into some dark areas of your life, but not in a way to condemn, but in a way to lead you away from danger, in a way to to rescue you, to, to bring you to a place of a more healthy and fulfilled life. When the light shines in the darkness, it's not to condemn or beat down. It's to to rescue. It's to show a better way. That's the heart of Jesus. And we needn't be afraid of his light in that sense. So that's what I love about Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. He was illustrating the fact that he is God. He was saying that as the light of the world, I will show you the way. He was saying, I will lead you safely out of the darkness that the light reveals. But you know, there's one final thought with regards to Jesus being the light. And if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, this is the thought I want to send you away with as a challenge. Because Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And in saying that, he issued, I think, a a follow-on challenge that we are to shine his light. We are to shine his light. If he is the light of the world, then this week as we live our lives, we should be reflecting that light, shining that light. Jesus' light should shine through us into the world. Maybe you um, went to church when you were a kid. I don't know if you grew up in church or not, but maybe as a child, your parents or your grandparents took you to church. And and if you cast your memory back, you can remember sitting in the basement of that church or in the back room for that Sunday school class. And and maybe at some point, the the person in charge, they said, hey, we're gonna sing a song together here this morning. Uh, This song's called This Little Light of Mine. Maybe some of you sang that song. It goes, this little light of mine. I'm not gonna sing it, I'm gonna say it. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it Yeah, some of you sang that song. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. There was a second verse, wasn't there? Hide it under a a bushel. That's right, we all sang it as kids. None of us knew what a bushel was, but we weren't gonna hide our little light under it, that's for sure. A bushel is a wooden container, a biblical times wooden container that they would hold dry goods in. and, And that verse was to remind us not to hide our little light under that bushel. Then we sang the third verse. Don't let Satan blow it out but maybe you went to a cool church where instead of saying blow it out then if you do the don't let satan yeah i heard it yes some of you got to go don't let satan it out which was the best part of the song because you knew it was coming so you got close to your friends and right when you got to that line you turn it with everything you went you just blow in and spit in all over your friend (laughs) i got some kids here are like great idea i'm gonna do that next time we sing that song (laughs) But the crazy thing is, that little song we sang as kids, there's some rich, deep theology in that song. It's actually tied to um, uh, something that Jesus himself shared one day. We can read about it in Matthew. Listen to this, Matthew 5, 14 to 16. He's talking to the crowds. He says, you are the light of the world. You're like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket or a bushel. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, but you too are now the light of the world. As my followers, you are the light of the world. Your life should reflect my light. My light should shine out of you so that others can see who I am. Others who are living in the darkness get to experience the, the life that the light brings. There's an author by the name of Matthew Hall, Rawl, sorry, and he wrote a book, Jesus Revealed, and um, I read a passage from it this week. He was talking about a time when he was in prayer, he was kind of meditating upon Jesus and the fact that he was the light he says he had this picture of Jesus being the light and, and, and in this, this kind of prayer time, he was walking towards Jesus. And as he walked towards Jesus, he says, I could see the light was getting brighter. It was wonderful. And the closer I got to him, the brighter the light got. And there was this warmth that came and the closer I got, the warmer I got. It was just wonderful. I just wanted to get closer and closer to Jesus. And he then says this, he says, as I walked closer to Jesus... His heart became brighter to the point where the light shining from his heart was the only thing I saw. It was blinding. But then I heard Jesus say, turn around. Turn around, I thought. I thought I was supposed to follow the light. I thought I was to gaze upon Jesus. Turn around, I heard again. So I did. And when I turned, I then saw some shadowy figures. They were a multitude of people. Of every color and creed, who were all searching themselves for Jesus. For me, that moment meant we aren't supposed to stare at the light, rather, we are to allow the light to illuminate everything else. The light of Christ doesn't call us to stare at the sun so much as to clearly see those to whom the sun offered himself. The light is to reveal those whom we are charged to love, our neighbor, our enemy, our friend. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, meaning that Christ reveals the way of love. And I loved that idea. Because I love the idea of of being drawn to the light. I love the idea of getting closer and closer closer to Jesus and seeing more and more of him and, and being exposed to the light and the love of Jesus. But what if... What if Jesus is shining his light into the darkness for us to see more clearly who still needs to, to be introduced to the light? Our friends, our family members, who, who is still that Jesus loves, that they're on his radar, and he's going to use us, the light in us, to reach them. Today's Palm Sunday, and it always amazes me that as you read about this in Scripture, this was the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem, the triumphal entry it's called. People lined the streets singing Hosanna, worshiping Jesus. And just a few days later, they would be crying out for his crucifixion. How quickly they they turned against him. What seemed like the darkest day, Good Friday. We're going to gather this week, six o'clock Friday evening. It's going to be a, a somber gathering because we're going to take communion together. We're going to sing some worship songs together. And we're going to reflect on the fact that Jesus went through an incredible excruciation, excruciating death. That it seemed like on that Good Friday, darkness had won. But then a couple of days later, a week today, we're going to gather here and celebrate Easter Sunday. Next Sunday, we have three services. All different times. 9 45, and 11. Make sure you write those down or check our website or our Facebook page. Three different service times. And here's why I share that, because not only will we be able to come and um, celebrate the fact that light overcame darkness, that Jesus, the light of the world, died, but he rose again. It's a wonderful opportunity to come and celebrate. We have a great opportunity to invite friends and family members and neighbors to join us. Easter is a time traditionally where people would think about attending church. Wouldn't it be great if at the invitation of you next week, a friend or a family member or a neighbor came along and heard for themselves how much Jesus loves them, how much the light can make a difference in their life? This is our opportunity to be the light of the world. Your friends have already seen the light in your life. Next Sunday, we'll learn about the greatest victory ever when the darkness of Good Friday was destroyed by the light of Easter Sunday. And I hope there'll be others who'll join you next week to hear that wonderful news. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. Jesus, I know that when you said these these phrases, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, they shook things up when you said them to the people you said them. And yet still, 2,000 years later, they have such truth and reality to our lives. Many of us can tell stories of how we once were in darkness and now are in the light thanks to you, thanks to the difference you've made in our lives and we are so thankful. Lord, I pray that that light that now lives inside of us would would shine out of us, that we would never let this little light of mine be hidden or snuffed out, but we would let it shine, let it shine, let it shine in every area of our lives. In Jesus' name.